The biggest problem in Christianity is and has always been the same thing. Christians. Specifically, Christians who are messing around and not living up to what Christianity teaches. I don't know if you heard about this, but this week in Southern California, near me in Orange County, uh, there was this uh, massive accident. A truck uh, was loaded with Vicks vapor rub. It overturned on the highway. But amazingly, there was no congestion for eight hours. Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode 185. If it's your first time joining us, we hope you enjoyed that dad joke. It's how we start every episode. And please rate and review this podcast if it's your first time listening. Other people might benefit from finding it because you were able to do that. And if you haven't rated or reviewed this podcast in a while, you can do it again. So you should. Please visit our website at manafoodforthought.com or manafft.com to find all of our content. While you're there, click on the subscribe button and you'll be on our email list to get our weekly Psalm Reflection emailed straight to your inbox before anyone else sees it. And you can click on the give button if you feel so inclined to help support the financial cost for this podcast for as little as $1 a month. You can be a patron. And so thank you so much to all of our patrons and all of our supporters. Thank you for listening. Uh, Please tag us on social media at Man of Food for Thought on Instagram is where we're most active. And the highest compliment you can pay this podcast is to share it with your family and friends. We always love hearing about how this podcast is affecting you, impacting you. So please don't hesitate to reach out either in person, if you know me, or uh, or emailing. Uh, That would be great. Our email is manafoodforthought at gmail.com. So we'd love to hear from you. Let's get into our joy junk and Jesus. Uh, my joy this week is that our best friends came over last night for our Sunday dinner. Um, usually we have our family over, but our schedules were different. So our family wasn't there and we were able to um, have our best friends over and their kids. And it was just really wonderful to see them. It had been a couple weeks and it's always a joy to be with them. And so that was great. My junk was that um, you ever have those weeks where you like look at your schedule and you're like mad at your past self. Like, why did I schedule my week like this? It's like chaos. So that's this coming week for me. So pray for me. I have no idea why I like piled so much on. But luckily I had a little bit, I was looking ahead and I noticed it. So I got some things done and rearranged some things in advance to try and like work ahead of all the craziness of this week. So just pray that all works out. And then uh, my Jesus moment, I was on retreat, a life teen area contact retreat with some of my fellow area contacts in Dahlonega, Georgia at uh, one of the Life Team camps up there. And it was just wonderful to be there. Um, and thank you for all your prayers. Um, I really didn't have any major like flight or travel anxiety like I sometimes get. Uh, so that was really wonderful to really just enjoy retreat and be in good community. Um, yeah, and to be now home with my family again is is also wonderful and, and just a grace from the Lord. So let's get into our episode for this week. We are diving into the second reading, as always, for our upcoming Sunday. This Sunday is the 30th Sunday in Ordinary Time, and our second reading comes from 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. We're picking up right where we left off from last weekend's Sunday reading. We'll be in 1 Thessalonians for a while. A reminder, this is probably the very first letter that was written by St. Paul, the earliest letter. Doesn't mean it was the first church he founded, but it was the earliest letter he wrote, probably meaning this was the first church that he heard of that had major problems he needed to address. So in the beginning of this letter, he's reminding them like, Everything that you're arguing about, everything that you're hearing, other teachers that you may be finding, like, remember that you just need to imitate us. You just need to do the things that we showed you to do, believe the things that we taught you to believe, 
um, and you will be you will be the witnesses to other people about why this church is is good and why other people should be Christian. Uh, and in that, we will have a victory over whatever whatever comes our way. So uh, that's essentially kind of the the overall thematic content, I guess you could say, of this section of First Thessalonians. So we're going to read this First Thessalonians chapter one verses five C through ten. Paul writes to the church in Thessalonica. He says, Brothers and sisters, you know what sort of people we were among you for your sake, and you became imitators of us and of the Lord, receiving the word in great affliction, with joy from the Holy Spirit, so that you became a model for all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. For from you the word of the Lord has sounded forth not only in Macedonia and in Achaia, but in every place your faith in God has gone forth, so that we have no need to say anything. For they themselves openly declare about us what sort of reception we had among you, and how you turned to God from idols, to serve the living and true God, and to await his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the coming wrath. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So in this passage, Paul is reminding them and praising them for this model of belief that they've had and how it's inspired other people and how that has come from imitating those that have taught them and recognizing that uh, in this, there is this huge evangelistic power. If you're living authentically according to the words of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, then lives can be changed simply by knowing you, simply by seeing the way that you live your life. Uh, to where Paul says, we have no need to say anything. Like other people are telling us. Other people are telling us and seeing the impact of how you turned away from idols, from paganism, from all the worldly things, and you turn toward the one and true God who can deliver you from anything. Remember, this is a time of heavy persecution. There's a lot of things against the church, and yet the church continues to grow and spread and gain traction in places where it would be impossible if it were not empowered by the grace of God and the movement of the Holy Spirit. And so that's kind of what's happening here. But this line that really sticks out to me is, you became imitators of us. And then again, that line where Paul says, we have no need to say anything. Is your life worthy of imitation? Is your life worthy of imitation? If someone watched you for a week and mimicked everything that you did, said everything that you say, thought everything that you thought, would they have a better life? Would their life be more joyful, more fulfilled, more satisfied? Is your life worthy of imitation? So don't get me wrong here. Like you should speak the gospel. Like there's this quote out there that's falsely attributed to St. Francis. uh, Preach the gospel at all times and when necessary, use words. I mean, it's a nice thought, but he never said it. It's not recorded in anything he ever wrote or said. And he never would have said it because he was a brilliant preacher and he always spoke the gospel. However, even though we should speak the gospel, our actions should announce it before our mouth is even able to. Hey, we should be living up to those words in everything that we do so that we don't necessarily have to announce it, but we're going to anyway because the preaching of the gospel is also something that we are commanded to do. And so there is this preaching of the faith and also the works of the faith. I'm reminded of James chapter 2, verse 26, that faith without works is dead. 
you can't just believe this in your own mind and in your own heart and have this mentality of like, okay, this is what I believe, but other people can believe what they want. No, our faith demands a missionary spirit, an evangelistic mission so that we will go out and tell others about the good news of Jesus Christ. We cannot keep it to ourselves. Otherwise, we are not authentically living our faith. And if we are authentically living our faith, it should be obvious because it's bearing fruit in our lives. It's bearing some kind of supernatural fruit. So is your life worthy of imitation? Where is there supernatural fruit? In Matthew chapter 7, verses 15 through 20, Jesus says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but underneath are ravenous wolves. By their fruits, you will know them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Just so every good tree bears good fruit, and a rotten tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a rotten tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. So by their fruits, you will know them. I mean, Jesus is being pretty clear here. This is part of the Sermon on the Mount toward the end. And he's telling them, like, you're going to hear a lot of stuff about God, about me, but you will know what is true by the supernatural fruit. Because someone who is not sincere, someone who's not really Christian, they cannot bear the fruit of the supernatural Christian relationship with God and the life of the Holy Spirit. You can't fake that. You can't. People might have mere talent or natural gifts that make it seem like that on the surface, but when you really see supernatural fruit, people can't fake that. And so, is your life bearing supernatural fruit? Because Jesus has pretty harsh words. I mean, he does this again in Matthew 21, where he comes across the fig tree when he's like right outside of Jerusalem toward the last week of his life and the week, the events of Holy Week, he sees this fig tree and he says, when he was going back to the city in the morning, he was hungry. Seeing a fig tree by the road, he went over to it, but found nothing on it except leaves. And he said to it, may no fruit ever come from you again. And immediately the fig tree withered. When the disciples saw this, they were amazed and said, how was it that the fig tree withered immediately? Jesus said to them in reply, Amen, I say to you, if you have faith and do not waver, not only will you do what has been done to the fig tree, but even if I say to this mountain, be lifted and thrown into the sea, it will be done. Whatever you ask for in prayer with faith, you will receive. So it's a twofold thing Jesus is doing here. He's, he's in one sense, like condemning the fig tree for not bearing fruit as a symbol for those people who won't bear fruit. But then by his words and his power, he's bearing supernatural fruit and authority over the fig tree and saying, you will have supernatural fruit and authority over nature if you follow me. So he's showing the fruits that this is something authentic to him in the same breath that he's condemning those people or in a symbolic way, those things that do not bear fruit, even though they should. We need to be willing to live out our faith boldly, even in the face of opposition. Because we are called to bear fruit in all circumstances. Is your life worthy of imitation? Paul wrote this letter, but he writes in 2 Corinthians that his most effective letter is you, is the believer. Listen, this is what he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 2-3. through 3. He says, you are our letter, written on our hearts, known and read by all, shown to be a letter of Christ administered by us, written not in ink, but by the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets, tablets that are hearts of flesh. The biggest problem in Christianity 
is and has always been the same thing. Christians. Specifically, Christians who are messing around and not living up to what Christianity teaches. And if that describes you, brothers and sisters, at times in my life it describes me too. I'm not trying to bring guilt or shame over you in a way to make you feel judged or make you feel bad about yourself. I'm trying to rile us up and recognize we've been given a gift of faith that is so profound, so satisfying, and so fulfilling when it is lived out. What are we waiting for if we are messing around with sin? Why are we falling especially into habitual mortal sin? Like we really need to cut those things out of our life because there is nothing more scandalous, detrimental, and damaging to the body of Christ and to the ability for the church to evangelize than Christians who are messing around and not living up to what the church teaches. Now, granted, it's a high bar. It's like the bar is perfection. Be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. Like that, that doesn't make sense on the surface. But what God is saying in this is allow yourself to be perfected by God. You cannot do it on your own. God can perfect you if you let him, if you surrender. He can make you into the person that you've been designed to be. But if we are willingly entertaining and willingly choosing sin and calling ourselves a Christian at the same time, we have to recognize we are doing damage to the body of Christ. And we need to just cut it out. Because it's not only destroying the church, especially it's destroying us. This is not who you were created to be, brothers and sisters. Sin is not going to get you what you're really looking for. Sure, it might bring momentary relief, momentary pleasure, but that's not what this life is about. And you will continuously find yourself on that spiral, further and further tolerating more and more sin and feeling more and more ashamed of it because you know the truth and you want to live up to the truth, but it's hard. It's hard to be a Christian. But is your life worthy of imitation? Is your life worthy of imitation? I ask this question in different ways as well, often where I say, if, uh, and I think I asked it on the podcast recently, but if you were accused in a court of law of being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? But that I think speaks to like, is your life religious looking? What I'm really asking here is like, is your life worthy of imitation? If someone saw every single thing that you do and say in a given week, would you be proud of it? Would you be ashamed? Would you be living up to what God is calling you to and the teachings of the church that he's given you? If not, what do you need to do, brothers and sisters? Because the clock's a ticking. Life is short and we, we don't know how much time is promised and there is much for us to do. God has called you to a great mission in this life, to share, to spread and defend the faith in your own unique way, your own unique mission, your own unique vocation and gifts and talents. But... If you're messing around with things that are totally antithetical or contrary to the Christian way of life, you are throwing all of that away. You're wasting your time, wasting your life with sin, and it's only going to lead to your destruction. And so, again, brothers and sisters, I don't mean this as a judgment. I mean this as, as a hopefully a wake-up call that you can look at your life and say, okay, if my life were under a microscope and everyone I know, my parents, my best friend, my spouse, everyone in the world could see my whole life broadcast online like the Truman Show and every single one of my actions and words was available for everyone to criticize or see, what immediate things would rise to the surface in my mind to say, oh, I can't do that. They can't see this. Those are the things, brothers and sisters, you need to bring to the Lord and allow him to perfect, allow him to help you with, because we can't do this on our own. But it takes work and we need to be willing 
to live our faith boldly, even in the face of difficulty or opposition, even when it's hard. Nothing worth doing in this life is easy. Marriage, friendship, passions, career, all these things that we are are passionate about that are life-changing, they take blood, sweat, tears, effort, sacrifice. That is why Jesus died on the cross for us to show us, you want to know how to love? You want to know how much God loves you and how you can echo that love into the world? Here's the template. Here's the model. Suffering and sacrifice because it's worth it when you're doing it for something that changes everything. When you're doing it for something that will transform you into the person you've been called to be and allow you to experience eternal life with God and with the saints and angels in heaven. That is what is on the line, brothers and sisters, not just for ourselves, but for other people. And we have a responsibility to share the good news with them. And nothing is more detrimental to that if we are not living a life worthy of imitation. And especially if we're messing around with sin, willingly, habitually, especially mortal sin, every day, every week, we need to root it completely out of our lives. Brothers and sisters, I pray I pray for you, I pray for me, I ask for your prayers, and I'm praying for you so that we can continue to fight this good fight and and run the race well so that others will know the glory of a relationship with God and the truth of who he is. Do not be the reason someone has an excuse not to be a Christian. Do not be the reason why someone is repelled from the church. Be the reason they are compelled to ask more to seek out truth. Be the example. And when you fail, admit it. Ask for forgiveness. Go to confession. Be vulnerable. Don't act like your life is perfect, but point your life and all that you do to the one who is perfect. But don't hide from these things in shame or entertain sin behind closed doors because eventually everything will come into the light. And whether you realize it or not, the sins that you think are private or behind closed doors, they are affecting you psychologically and emotionally. They're affecting the way that you are in your relationships and they are not serving you or the church. So root them out before they cause some serious scandal. Brothers and sisters, that is all I have for you. I hope it's encouraging. I hope it lights a fire under you, and I hope you continue to know how much the Lord loves you, even in the midst of our sin. God loves you so much. You do not change in in order for God to love you. You do not need to change in order for God to love you. But God's love will change you. Allow his love to continue to change you this week so that you can continue or begin to live a life that is worthy of imitation. God bless you, my friends. And I will see you in the Eucharist. Bye.